The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Uh, we're going to talk uh, this morning about Christmas bread. How many of y'all ate some bread during Christmas? A few of you. Some of you didn't eat any bread. How many of you ate dressing? You ate bread then, didn't you? Cornbread. Cornbread. I ate cornbread. I ate flour tortillas. That's bread, isn't it? Uh, I ate wheat bread and I ate light bread. Do y'all know where the term light bread came from? Y'all, do y'all call it light bread, anybody? Uh, where that came from was when the, the uh, folks were crossing the country uh, in wagons, uh, they didn't stop every night like you see in the movies. <clears throat> now, they stopped every night, but they didn't set up camp every night. So as they crossed the plains, uh, they ate a flat type of bread, which would be like a tortilla, most every night. But when they would set up a camp, they would bake bread with yeast in it, and instead of it being hard, flat pita bread, it'd be light bread. <laughs> it would fluff up, they would bake it, uh, and they would make a loaf of bread like we eat, like light bread. <laughs> and that's where that term came from. They baked it in Dutch ovens, and, uh, and instead of having some kind of uh, hard uh, pita-type bread, then every now and then they would stop and they would have light bread. And everybody liked light bread because uh, it, it, was, uh, it was a lot better tasting and uh, it, it fluffed up. When I was in school, and I'm pretty sure I was in grade school, so we're talking about 40-plus years ago, maybe uh, 45 years ago, we went to Mrs. Baird's Bread on a field trip. It was right down in, in Dallas, right off Highway 75. Y'all remember, any of y'all remember going by there and you could smell it all the way across uh, Highway 75. And uh, we went in there and we toured the, the uh, facility there and at the very end of the tour, they had fresh bread. Did any of y'all make that field trip besides me? Connie did. You remember that, boy? And and yeah, they had uh, they had butter or mustard, and I ate a mustard sandwich. <laughs> oh, it's good if y'all have never tried it. Uh, I grew up on mustard sandwiches, but you could uh, you could take a slice of that bread. I mean, fresh out of the oven. And uh, you could put butter on it, and they served all of us. And I put mustard on mine, and I, I still remember that. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 2, I should have already headed you in that direction. But uh, I still remember that fresh bread and that field trip so long ago. I don't know that it's still there. Is that place still down there? Does anybody know? They've moved it, so. Okay. All right. But... uh. I wonder if you can still smell it all around, can you? Uh, well, that's good. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about Christmas bread, and this will be uh, kind of my last sermon. We've been on the topic of recalculating our journey, and we'll get back on that topic next week. But today, I had thought about preaching this last week, and I changed my mind, and I prepared it, and I really wanted us to uh, to go ahead and look at this. And as we face a new year... 
Uh, I think this is a great message for us. So uh, in Matthew chapter 2, we'll start there in verse 1. I got to thinking the other night at our uh, our uh, <clears throat> candlelight service, and even last Sunday, I said, uh, we're going to talk about the Christmas story, but we don't have time to read it. Well, isn't that crazy? <laughs> this time of year, and we don't have time to read uh, the birth of the Lord. And we're, we're not going to read all of it this morning. We're going to start in chapter 2, after Jesus was born. And this is what it says in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, uh, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, uh, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when, we, when he had called together all the people, chief priests <clears throat> and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, uh, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may too go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead, until, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures and presented them, presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Now that's, uh, that's kind of our scripture this morning. We're not going to be back in that scripture, but uh, I, want to, uh, I want to just for you to think this morning about the, the place of Jesus' birth, Bethlehem. And uh, we're going to think about that. A Jewish lady named Miss Rosenberg this was many, many years ago, was stranded late one night in uh, a fashionable resort during that time that did not admit Jews. So the desk clerk looked down at his book and said, sorry, no room, the hotel is full. And the Jewish lady said, but your sign says you have vacancies. And the desk clerk stammered and then said, uh, you know, kind of certainly that, well, you know that we don't admit Jews here. You might try the other side of town. Miss Rosenberg stiffed and said, Well, I've converted to your religion. And desk clerk said, Oh, yeah? Well, let me give you a little test. How was Jesus born? And Miss Rosenberg said he was born to a virgin named Mary in a little town called Bethlehem. Very good, replied the clerk. Tell me more. Miss Rosenberg replied, He was born in a manger. That's right, the hotel clerk said. And why was he born in a manger? Miss Rosenberg said loudly, because there was a jerk like you that wouldn't let a Jewish lady in for the night. So, uh, you know that story. We all know that story. Uh, we know the story of Bethlehem. We know what happened there. But of all the cities and all the villages in Palestine, why did the Lord, God, 
choose such an unheard of place as Bethlehem for the birth of the greatest figure that ever entered into human history. You know, if they were Baptists, what we would have done is we would have formed a site committee to decide where the best place would be. And I thought about that. If we had appointed a site committee and, and uh, the name Bethlehem probably would have never even made our list, it would have never entered our list, uh, because it was a small town, and I'm sure some of us would favor other locations. One group may have said, what about Hebron, for example? You may this morning not know exactly where Hebron is, but it played an important part of Hebrew history. I mean, that's what Hebron did. If you know anything about Hebron, then it was a place that Abraham was. It was a place that Jacob was. It was a place that Joseph was, patriarchs of the Old Testament. And later, King David was also associated with Hebron. So part of our committee would say, hey, that's the place. It goes all the way back to Abraham. And, and, <coughs> excuse me, and Abraham... Uh, it's where this all began, so that, that's the most logical place. Now, another group may have said, well, wait a minute, I think Jerusalem is the best place because 611 times in the Old Testament, Jerusalem is mentioned for centuries from the day that David captured it from the Jebusites. That made Jerusalem the center of all activity for Israel. So it just makes sense. Jerusalem is the place. It's, it's the place that, that King Solomon's temple is there. It's a royal place. I mean, I'm sure part of the folks on our committee would say, you know, we could, we could use Jerusalem and, and Israel is already there. It's our principal place of worship. This is the best place. Now, I can see the ladies on the committee saying this. Why not use Nazareth? Because that's the most logical place for Mary and Joseph. That's where they live. That's going to offer the most convenience for Mary. Wouldn't you ladies say that? She's with child. Her family's there. Her neighbors are there. Her friends are there. Why upset the whole thing? Let's just let him be born in Nazareth. But that's not the case. So, why Bethlehem? Well, when we look at Bethlehem, the ancient prophets, uh, Micah even said it was the smallest among all the clans of Judah. So, so, for whatever reason, Bethlehem never rose to this place of importance. But there were two events that stand out in history, actually three, but two that stand out in history before his birth. There in Bethlehem is where... Israel's greatest ideal king was born. He was their poet. He was the he was the hero. Who was he? Somebody jump out there. Who was their favorite king? King David. Solomon came later. King David was born. And if you think about it, why was why was uh, Mary and Joseph going back there? What's the Christmas story say? He was from the line of David. So we know David was born there. So David's born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Bethlehem. That's a pretty significant event. The other significant event that we find in Scripture is a beautiful love story. Now, it's not Solomon. You read Song of Solomon, you might say, well, that's got to be it. 
What's the most beautiful love story in the Old Testament? Anybody want to venture a guess? Okay, that's a great one. That is a great one. I didn't even think of that. Somebody else. She has her own book. Ruth. (laughs) Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. That all took place in Bethlehem. Did y'all realize that? So that, that, that's two events that, that took place in Bethlehem. And other than that, uh, it, was just a, it was just a small place. I mean, there was really no, uh, nothing spectacular about it. It was nothing that stood out about. We sang this song just a while ago, O Little Town of Bethlehem, How Still We See Thee Lie Above the Deep and Dreamless Sleep. The silent stars go by, yet in the dark street shineth an everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Bethlehem's beginning dates back from a dim part of history, and when the writer of this song, Little Town of Bethlehem, he captured that in those words, deep and dreamless sleep. For nearly 2,000 years before the shepherds came to Bethlehem, the, before the Magi came to see the, the babe land in a manger, and if you read that scripture, he was already in a house by the time they got there, the Magi. But, but before they came, uh, that was just a deep and dreamless place. It was just a little hamlet there in the middle of, of nowhere. But I want you to know something. Why did it wake up with the birth of the Savior? Well, one thing we know that, that they had to return to, to their land where they were born. That was where the line of David. But how many of you know what the word Bethlehem means? The, the word Bethlehem means literally in Hebrew, the house of bread. So when you think about this, Christ was born literally in the house of bread. Now, how is that significant for us? And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. I have three things that, that I think have a significant meaning when we think about the birth of Christ in the house of bread. And the first was that. Christ was born in Bethlehem. I hope you remember this, the house of bread. Now, I think the reason being, and I talked about this a little bit at our candlelight service, I think that he was born in that place to identify with a common man. The first person that, that knew the birth of the new Savior was what? The shepherds, the common man. And Jesus wasn't born in a house of royalty, a house of riches. He wasn't born in a house of a celebrity. He wasn't born in Rome or Athens or in Alexandria. All of those places that would have probably made the list if we had an opportunity to choose. He was born in any political or commercial or cultural or educational type, socially significant community of the day. He was born in a lowly place, a common place, common to man, in a place called the house of bread. I want you to listen to that scripture in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. Bethlehem, the house of bread, is one of the most common things that men need. Think about this. The, the most common thing we need is bread. I mean, we can survive on bread and water, can't we? You know, when we was maybe growing up and you heard stories about prisons or you watched movies about prisons, what was the food? What did you get in prison? Bread and water. That's all you got. Why? 
Because that's all it takes to sustain life. Bread and water. Jesus came. He said what? I'm the bread of life. He says, he who comes to me will not thirst anymore. He said, I'm the water that gives life. So when we look at Jesus' birth, we see that his birth wasn't announced to, to kings. It wasn't even announced to King Herod. Who was it announced to? Common folks. Shepherds, common people, the bread of life, the sustainer of life is how he came. So the first significant thing, I think, about Christ's birth and why Bethlehem was chosen was this. The common thing we need is the house of bread and the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. Christ was born in Bethlehem to to satisfy our spiritual hunger. He satisfies our spiritual hunger. The scripture I just quoted, John 6, 35, says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, bread is a good comparison for us. As I've already said, it satisfies, it gratifies, it it strengthens. That was an amen from the Lord, wasn't it? I mean, it woke us up all of a sudden spiritually, Bread feeds us. It, it nourishes us physically. Now, the Bible says many people are eating at the wrong table. Listen to this. And I want you all to know if you're worried about the storm, we're halfway through. We're nearly, to the, we're nearly through with my sermon this morning. But I want you to hear this, this scripture. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. When we read that passage of Scripture, I want you to think about how many people are running after and searching things that do not satisfy. We understand this, that we're born with a hunger, we're born with a a spiritual need that only God can fulfill. And I believe that's why we see people all over the world getting in all kinds of trouble and doing all kinds of things. They're trying to fill a need that only God can fill. And folks, till we come to that realization, what Isaiah is saying, why spend money, why chase after things that are not satisfying, that are not filling? He uses the term, why spend money on what is not bread, the, the, the common need we have, the thing that fills us, and why labor on those things that do not satisfy. Folks get so busy, caught up in searching for the meaning of life and the reason for life, and they miss out on the thing that really brings fulfillment to their life. Those temporary things, they bring temporary happiness. They bring temporary pleasure, but you know what? They leave us dry, and they leave us hungry. And Christ came born in the house of bread to meet our most common need. Christ is all we need for our spiritual satisfaction. Now, here's my last point this morning. Christ was born in Bethlehem to show each of us that we need to choose Him as the Savior for ourselves. Now, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever seen anybody eat something? And when they begin to eat that, you think, man... I'd like to try that. Now, if, if you say, no, I don't, I've never done that, what do you think commercials do? They put a beautiful spread out there, and they put beautiful people out there, and they, mm, oh, 
That's so savory. Even if it's Mrs. Swanson chicken pot pie. I mean, you know, you just, they cut it open and it steam comes out and gravy runs out. And, and you look at that and you, you think, boy, that looks good. We went out and ate with the pilgrims the other day and we went over to a place in uh, Blackland, it's the only place I know it's called, and uh, they, we ate and they said, y'all want any dessert? I said, no, nah, I want no dessert. And, and they got bread pudding. Oh my goodness. And I just watched them eat that bread pudding and I thought, boy, that looks good. And it is good. If y'all know where that is, talk to Pat and Ann and it is worth the drive. For a taste of bread pudding, I promise you. Isn't it worth the drive for bread pudding? (laughs) Uh, It is really good. But you know what? I want you to hear this. By watching someone else eat, our hunger is not satisfied, is it? I mean, if you sat down at Christmas dinner and everyone at the table ate and enjoyed, you don't get up and leave and say, well... Because my mother ate, and my father ate, and my grandmother ate, and my, grandma, my grandfather ate, and all my children ate, and my wife ate, and before them, my great-great-grandparents ate, I must be full. We don't do that. We have to partake to fill our hunger. So folks, just because we come to the table... And we sit around the Lord's table this morning, and just because the bread of life is offered to us, we can't leave here saying, well, you know what? I'm filled this morning because I was in the presence of folks that fed at Christ's table. I was in church this morning. I smelt that fresh bread that Jake was talking about. I understand Christ was born in that city of bread, the, the, the bread of heaven. I understand that. Folks, until we take that bread for ourselves, until we, or listen to what 1 Corinthians 1.17 says. It says, we are all partakers of that one bread. That one bread is Christ. And until we become partakers of that bread, until we, we sit at the Lord's table and we, we take Him upon us, who, he, who says, I am the bread of life. And if you... Eat, and if you take me in, you're going to be hungry no more. You're not going to be searching any longer for those fulfillments. Until we take that, we've not understood why Christ was born in Bethlehem. Christ offers the bread of life that offers to sustain us. Who is Jesus? And this is what we're going to close with this morning. Who is Jesus? In chemistry, He turns water to wine. In biology, he was born without the normal conception. In physics, he he disproved the law of gravity when he ascended into heaven. In economics, he disproved the law of diminishing return by feeding 5,000 with two fish and five loaves of bread. In medicine, he cured the sick and the blind without administering a single dose of drugs. In history, he's the beginning and the end. In government, he said that he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. In religion, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus had no servants, yet they called him Master. He has no degree, yet they called him Teacher. He has no medicines, yet they called him Healer. He has no army, yet they feared him. 
He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, yet he lives today, and he proclaims himself, I am the bread of heaven. That's John 6.33. In John 6.35, he says, I am the bread of life. If you go and read in John, it talks about the bread who came down from heaven representing Jesus Christ. And in a few verses later, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? That little town of Bethlehem, our committee would have never chose Bethlehem. But I want you to think about the Lord and Savior this morning. I want you to think about He that was born in the house of bread. He came for common folks. The Bible says there's nothing spectacular that would just draw people to Him. He wasn't better looking than anyone else. He was just common on this earth. He came for common folks to meet a common need to fill our hunger and to fill our thirst. And he says, those who partake of me, that void within us, that, that thing that we search for to fill a void, I'll meet that need and I'll be a sustainer of life spiritually. And those who drink of me, for all the things the world runs after, you'll thirst no more. Because I, I'll give the bread of life, and I'll feed your thirst that you'll want no more. But here's the deal. We have to partake of him as individuals. Just smelling the bread, hearing the recipe, sitting at the table... All of that's great. We may learn how to bake the bread. We may learn how to do all the things. But until we partake of the bread of life, we're still going to hunger and we're still going to thirst. As we go to a new year, you may say, well, Jake, I've accepted Christ and, and I'm happy I've partaken in the bread. But you know what? With all of that bread we have and with that fulfilling you have, you know what we're to do? We're to go and share with others. In 2016, we're going to start that up next Sunday. I want to ask, would you begin to prepare your mind right now? Would you begin to think of that one person this year? You want to make a difference in their life. Maybe you just need to invite that person to church. Don't call them seven days a week and bug them every day, but, but keep them on your mind. Begin to pray for them. Begin to say, you know what, I'd just love for you to come to church here. Maybe you need to witness to somebody. Maybe God's placed them on your heart and, and, and you, you just need to start to pray for that person. Maybe there's some folks here that, that you think, you know, I remember, they, boy, they were so faithful. They've fallen away. I, I just need to get in contact with that. I can't put the thoughts in your mind. The Holy Spirit can. But I want you to think about this. If you sat here this morning in your field, boy, I've had my bread of life and, and I, I've partaken of the cup of, of the new covenant and, and I am satisfied with Jesus. Would you look towards 2016 and say, okay, Lord, here I am. 
Use me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. And I want to ask you, pick one person. Start with one. And say, you know what? In 2016, they're, they're my mission project in 2016. And let's just see how God will use us to make a difference in his kingdom. Father, this morning, I pray that as we just consider that bread, that Christmas bread, that bread of life that you've offered us, Father, I pray that we would just examine ourselves and we would just be sure that we're partakers of that bread, that we've not just came to the table and just figured, well, since my family's always ate at this table, I'm, uh, I'm full as they are, just that we might understand for us to be filled, we have to become partakers. Lord, I pray that if we've nailed that down and... and Father, we, we can move on from that, Lord. I pray that you would place in our minds in this very second that person that we need to begin to lift up before you, that we need to make a commitment in 2016. I'm going to be a light in darkness for that person. Father, that we would begin to think about ways that we can reach out, that we can minister to those that you've placed on our heart and on our mind. And Father, we trust your spirit this morning to lead us in the way that we should go in Jesus' name.